You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. I am joined this morning by the great, the in-demand, Gabrielle Levine. Gab, welcome back to the program yet again. Thanks, Howard. So much to talk about. Let's start with a certain Kia nurse uh, who you had the opportunity to see this weekend and who on Monday night lifted Connecticut into the Sweet 16. Uh, Tell me what your initial thoughts were about her and about Connecticut in person as well. Initial thought was, wow. You know, wow. That performance from Kia Nurse last night against Syracuse, I don't know if I've ever seen her. I've certainly seen her play with that kind of power, but I don't know if I've ever seen her do exactly that. So in and of itself, what a terrific performance from Kia Nurse. But let's start first with Connecticut's game against UAlbany. Connecticut was one of... I think the only team's number one seed that really came out in the first round and did exactly what we expected them to do against UAlbany. They had a terrific, terrific, strong performance. And it was actually pretty interesting because despite what all of us might have thought was a great game for Nafisa Collier and Gabby Williams, Gina Ariama after the game kind of said, that game didn't live up to their expectations. They could have done better. And I'm just saying that because I know that's what they think. And I was just like, man, man, like that was a great game from them. But, again, I guess it it didn't really live up to what their personal expectations might have been. You know, they did did cover. They they were 47-point favorites against Albany, who played a very good game. Imani Tate is legit. And still, they won 116-55. to Yeah. New Albany have to tip our hat to you, Albany, because that's a team, and Gina Ariema also pointed this out after the game, you, Albany competed against UConn in a way that a lot of teams just didn't this season. Yeah. And Howard, you and I have talked about this. We've seen teams go up against UConn with fear and with shock, and they're just done after the first five minutes. They're like ghosts on the floor of the players. Absolutely. Because they can't, it's the momentum kind of just takes them over. To UAlbany's credit, though, they did not give up. And I watched all four quarters of that game in person, and they played buzzer to buzzer. And Amani Tate was a huge part of that. She had, must have been like some point in the third quarter, this amazing block against Sanaya Chung. And it was just, everyone was just like, wow. You know, because she was still competing. And the game at that point, especially in the third quarter with the way that UConn came out, the game was over. But she was still playing. So UAlbany now, in my mind, has a place as a team that deserves to be in the NCAA tournament and maybe at a higher seed than they were placed at this season. Yeah, it it simply wasn't right. And I understand it was for reasons of geography, 
But UAlbany, given their track record, given that that team, yes, with Sharisha Richards as well, but that team managed to, as a 12 seed, win a game last year against Florida. Uh, to my mind, Albany deserved better. And I think Syracuse, yeah. quite frankly, deserved better as well. That Syracuse, that I made agree. it to the national title game, deserved better than an 8 seed in that second round matchup against UConn. To me, Brittany Seitz and Alexis Peterson were legitimately not just via the Syracuse hype machine, one of the best, if not the best backcourt in the country. And it would have been great to see them play a little bit longer. Uh, what were your final yeah. impressions of them as collegiate players? I thought that they were outstanding. And similar to you, Obney, Sykes and Peterson went into that game to compete. And it was unfortunate. It was a shame that they had to come up again against UConn. But Coach Q after the game had something interesting to say, which is that it says something about this team that past two seasons we've gone up against the best and that's how our run has ended. And it's true. These players have competed against the best. They've done it with a lot of heart. And they haven't shied away from it when they play in the games. They go buzzer to buzzer competitive. But what do you do when you go up against a team that has four legitimate offensive threats on the floor and one of them is Kia Nurse, who nine times out of ten, Howard, I don't know if you realize this way or you pick up on this when you watch teams play against UConn. Kia Nurse spends so much time on the low baseline corner, hanging out on the three-point line wide open. Yep. Because teams have to just sacrifice with their defense. What are you going to do? You have, you to, have to give something up, and it, they give Kia Nurse up. Just like Morgan Tuck was wide open in the Final Four last year. It was the same basic idea that Ultimately, there's more weapons there than you can cover. And let's not forget about Kiana. She was the AAC preseason player of the year. She certainly was the one mm-hmm. who I thought would be the best player on the Connecticut team this year. And, you know, the injury really is the primary reason why that wasn't the case. But the idea that Kia Nurse could potentially, you can make the argument, as the fourth best player on this Connecticut team is no slight of Kia Nurse, who will be a high WNBA lottery pick when the time comes. It simply reflects the amount of top-end talent there. But I'd like to move, if I can, to the team that also has significant top-end talent that I saw this weekend down in College Park, uh, and that's University of Maryland. The Terrapins took care of business as a three-seed. Certainly they, and we talked about this last time on the program, did not deserve a three-seed, in our opinion, and they went out and proved it because, quite frankly, they were a three who played like a one going out and crushing Bucknell and not for a lack of game plan or execution from Bucknell, simply in much the same way we talked about uh, UConn against Albany and Syracuse, Bucknell simply couldn't run the sets fast enough to keep up with Maryland. And then taking on a West Virginia team that had been playing extremely well, that was another non-competitive game that allowed Maryland to push directly into the Sweet 16. So I was curious whether you thought that the first weekend bore that out for you with Maryland as well. I did, and the reason being, especially with that West Virginia game, I thought that that West Virginia team was a team that could play competitively against Maryland, to be honest. I was kind of expecting that. I was expecting Maryland to have to grind it out a little bit. But well, and, and just to be clear, they played Elon, a very good team, an 11 right. seed, played Elon's game and beat Elon at their own game. And, I mean, took out Baylor previously mm-hmm. and Texas. So I thought that this is not going to be no easy walk in the park for Maryland, but Maryland did exactly what UConn did. They came out ready, and it showed on the basketball court. And 
man, like we said earlier, I think the best game of this tournament, if it happens, is going to be UConn versus Maryland in the Elite Eight. I cannot wait to watch that game if it happens. It is exciting. And, of course, the only team standing in Maryland's way is Oregon. And so it's interesting to me, and maybe you can take me through the math of this, but, you know, the Pac-12 is now in the Sweet 16. Somehow there are 18 teams from the Pac-12 in the Sweet 16. I don't really know how that happened. (laughs) I don't know how that ended up that way, but Oregon being one of them. Uh, was no surprise, quite frankly, I think, to either of us, given how well the Pac-12 has played. But that Oregon game for Duke, you know, Duke's going to think about it for a long time as a two-seed, an opportunity for Lexi Brown to go back and face Maryland was something that they were looking forward to. Didn't happen. Obviously, losing Lambert to injury was significant. But quite frankly, Oregon as a 10-seed didn't make sense at the time and makes even less sense now that you get a chance to see them. Right, and this this goes back to what we were talking about previously. This is what the Pac-12 is. The Pac-12 is the most competitive conference in NCAA women's basketball, and we're seeing that in this tournament. We might have had a couple questions in the first round. Oregon State came out slow. Stanford came out slow. But their their second-round games, they came out strong, and they corrected any deficiencies. Oregon is one of those teams as well that came out strong. Washington is another team that came out really strong. And I think that their competitive conference play has just prepared them. And what's, in, what's interesting when you think about that Oregon-Maryland matchup is that Ruthie Hebert is a very Bree Jones type of player. Very efficient on the offensive end. So mm-hmm. little wasted motion when she goes up. A nice little post game. Really good defensive player. When you look at someone like Lexi Bando, she's someone who's going to have to shoot to match Satori Walker-Kimbrough. And of course they've got Sabrina Ioniscu, who is probably going to be Destiny Slocum's responsibility. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You might put Confroy on her, but there's a lot of things that Maryland has to answer for with Oregon in the same way that there Mm -hmm. are plenty of things that Oregon has to answer for with Maryland. But just on the Pac-12, and then I want to move to the Big Ten, which also spoke uh, very well for itself this weekend. But the Pac-12, 5 of 7 is the actual number that made it to the Sweet 16. And the two that didn't, you had a Cal team going up against Baylor, so you had a number one seed that they had to face, and uh, Christina Needway was uh, you know, terrific as always, but look, that, that was asking a lot of that Cal team, very young Cal team, and that Baylor team is playing as well as anyone other than, let's say, UConn and Maryland. I think those are the three that really and stood to out. point out, on, on Baylor as well, Alexis Jones, any concerns that Mm. fans might have had about her health she came out strong absolutely i have not seen she really hasn't missed a beat yet in tournament play and that's a huge huge benefit to that baylor team for sure and as far as the other pac-12 team not to make it arizona state gave south carolina everything they could handle so it took a pair of one seeds to knock any Mm pac-12 team out of the NCAA tournament so far, which is really a remarkable thing in and of itself. But the Big Ten, Mm -hmm. the other conference that really showed up, uh, not just in terms of Purdue playing Notre Dame so tough as a nine seed going up against a one, but in terms of Ohio State going into Kentucky and winning that game, and did it, by the way, without Steph Mavunda, who was their best rebounder. And I've been in contact with the Ohio State 
uh, PR team. Uh, they've, you know, Gary Pettit does an amazing job over there. Steph is someone they're hoping to get back for the Sweet 16. Now imagine that Ohio State team playing extremely well. If you get Mavunda back and if Notre Dame is without Turner, suddenly that is a mismatch in favor of the five, not in favor of the one at the Lexington Regional. Yeah, my you know my heart really went out to Turner when I saw her take that fall. It yeah. was a no contact fall, which is kind of the worst that you want to see on the basketball court, especially with an injury to the knee. So, gosh, I really hope that she's able to play for them because that would be a huge loss for Notre Dame. No we question. saw that in their game against Purdue. We saw it happen. The team they did not look like themselves. They really their offense. They really couldn't get points on the board in the way that they wanted to. They weren't really able to execute. They lost her rebounding presence on the board. And Ohio State right now, first of all, Ohio State underseeded. Should have been a four seed. No Let's question. just get that out there. No question. It should have been a four seed. But they went on the road and they won. And they didn't just go on the road, they went to Kentucky. And that game became an individual battle in a way between Kelsey Mitchell and Michaela Epps. And right now, Kelsey Mitchell is not a player you want to go up against. It was, you know, I was kind of laughing to myself because after the game, um, Coach McGuff did an interview with ESPN. He said, you know, I, I told Kelsey that she was the best player on the floor tonight, so act like it. Hmm. And she acted like it. Yeah. And it showed in her game, and she was a player that really couldn't be stopped. So and not just that, but all starters for them were in double figures. Tori McCoy had a really great game for them, 12 boards, 14 points overall, and six key points in that fourth quarter for Ohio State. So that's if Notre Dame doesn't have Turner back, that's got to be a huge concern for them, knowing that they're going up against a really hot Ohio State team right now. And and one that all fits together now. You know, I had the chance to sit with Coach McGuff earlier this year when they came in to face UConn and spend some time with Kelsey Mitchell as well. And they were quite open about it, that this was trying to fit the pieces together. The idea was we're not where we need to be right now. We need to be there by March. And Kelsey Mitchell against UConn came out and performed like a star, but they did not have the team chemistry yet. You see them, what they're doing now. Mm -hmm. You see what they did against Maryland, uh, that huge win uh, to help them back on February 20th. It, it really shows that it's a different Ohio State team. As far as seniors go that we're sad to see leave, I'm curious, who are some at the top of your list? You know, for me, it starts really with the Syracuse duo, and I am sad to see that happen. But I'm curious, who are at the top, who, who are the players at the top of your list uh, that you are going to be saddest to see out of this tournament already? Well, Imani Tate for you, Albany, like I talked about earlier, that was a player that I got an opportunity to watch a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm sad to see that she had to go out in that way against UConn. But you know what? She went out on the high note. Uh, she competed really well. And that was one of the best players I've ever seen out of you, Albany. And I, I really felt for Fs in that game against Ohio State. She was just a terrific terrific player for Kentucky and you know she battled through when that program was having issues and she stuck it out 
And she was just a great player to watch. And like I said, that game was more so than anything an individual battle of two really great players between Kelsey Mitchell and Michaela Epps. And unfortunately, her team came up short, but she was a fun player to watch over the years. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and obviously, the place where I'm going to go is Tori Jankowska who is a player who I have greatly enjoyed on the offensive end, on the defensive end, someone who I think has a real future in this game at the next level. And so Tori Jankoska did so much with uh, a supporting cast that uh, was game and played extremely well and extremely hard. But Jankoska had to do so much of the heavy lifting this year, especially early in the year when they were hit by injuries. So Tori Jankoska, mm-hmm. we salute you. Teams and matchups <laughs> moving forward. Who are you most excited about in the Sweet 16? Um, I'll start by saying that Notre Dame-Ohio State game, I sure hope Turner comes back. It doesn't sound very good, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to see it. And you're right, Turner is such a key to that team. We saw it even earlier this year when her play was a little inconsistent and Notre Dame was not the one seed that they became later on in the year. I think that Oregon-Maryland game is going to be absolutely fantastic and I'm very excited about that and quite frankly I'm really interested to see what Louisville can do against Baylor because Louisville has the offensive weapons to stay close and Asia Durr may be the best player on the floor if not for Kelani Brown who right now is looking to me like the monster is going to average 25 and 15 next year but what about you what are what are sticking out for you I have my eye on Washington and Mississippi State for so many reasons. I mean, chief among them, and I'm really interested to hear your take on this, Howard. This Mississippi State team went into this tournament with issues, and no team wants to go into a tournament with issues. And their issue is that they, Dick Schaefer, benched four of his starters, not just in the first game, but also in second round play. Mm-hmm. With that being said, though, the players who were previously his bench players came out really, really strong. They also came out strong, though, against, you know, maybe not such a competitive first-round matchup, a more competitive second-round matchup against DePaul. I'm really eager to see what they do against Washington, and I'm not really sure where the buck stops with them. Does it stop with Washington? Is Washington going to be the team with that one-two punch of Kelsey Plum and Chantel Osahor? who's going to expose them if they keep going with these, you know, if they keep going with putting their four original starters on the bench. I'm really I'm really not sure because Washington is rolling right now. They were, in my view, the strongest team from the Pac-12 to come out in the first two rounds, especially with that win last night over Oklahoma. Yeah, that's a good so Oklahoma team. I'm not, I'm not team. too sure what your view, that was a good Oklahoma team, but I'm not too sure about what your view on that Mississippi State issue is. Howard. So I wonder what the line is going to be for this game, but my guess, my gut mm-hmm. feeling is that Washington should be favored, even though they're the three and Mississippi State is the two, given the way Washington is playing. Like you said, given the issues that Vic Schaefer's team is having. Now, Look, I would not second-guess Vic Schaefer for a number of reasons. One, because he's done a great job building that program, and another, because he's in that locker room, he's in those practices. So he's probably seeing something. I'm, I know he's seeing things that I'm not seeing, but that struck me as very strange. And I do think we need to see a big game out of Victoria Vivian's A, for Mississippi State to win, and B, for us to start to take Mississippi State seriously as a potential Final Four team and title contender. Well, this is it. This is her opportunity to do it, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see. So that one I'm really excited about. 
Baylor Louisville, of course, I'm extremely excited about. And let's not forget Texas and Stanford. Texas and Stanford's going to be intense and a terrific matchup. I give the edge to Texas. I have Texas winning that game simply because Karen Aston's teams have been closers all year. And really, when you go back, I mean, they managed to close against UCLA in the Sweet 16 last year in a way that really left an impression with me. So I think Texas is going to get the better of that one. But, boy, there are no bad matchups. And and that's before we even get into the fact that Quinnipiac is there. Quinnipiac, a (laughs) top 10 overall defensive team. Quinnipiac, I know, and Quinnipiac going up against South Carolina, that's going to be fascinating to see uh, come Sweet 16 time. So before I let you go, because I I know you are on the run, are there any other players or teams that we haven't touched on in these first two rounds? Sort of a a last-minute salute before we call it a day. Did we talk about Kelsey Plum? I can't remember. <laughs> we make it an effort to talk about Kelsey Plum and every we probably single show. Should. So and, and let's, let's do so without without missing. Plum. <laughs> and yes, and do so without missing Chantel Osahor, who again is doing everything for that Washington and team. And one other player, Ari McDonald, Ari McDonald on that Washington team, freshman. She's come out really strong for them. I haven't seen her play this well all entire season. She had eighteen points against Oklahoma last night. That's another player to keep your eye on from Washington. And Natalie Romeo, who you pointed out, the Nebraska transfer, when she's hitting her threes, it's basically the equivalent of how Walton hit her threes last year for Washington. And Washington ended up, as we know, in the Final Four. I think they got a shot at getting there again. Well, Gabriella Levine, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. So excited about what's coming up this week. And I would urge everyone to follow you on Twitter, at Gab underscore Rose One. Do I have that right? You do. Excellent. And to our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We'll be back later this week with a Pac-12 preview with Michelle Smith. Uh, Pac-12 preview, Sweet 16 preview, pretty much the same thing, quite frankly, at this point in the year. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnWBB. Like us on Facebook, and make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. I'm Howard Megdahl wishing you a wonderful day.